You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 45, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today I'm going to be speaking with Jennifer Joy Madden, a professor, writer, and designer who helps parents to raise more durable, healthy, and grounded children in the digital age. She's the author of The Durable Human Manifesto and How to Be a Durable Human. And you can find out more about her, her work, and her online courses at durablehuman.com. We're extremely pleased to welcome Jennifer Joy Madden to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In the upcoming interview with Jennifer Joy Madden, you'll hear Jennifer talk about some really simple, low-tech, old-school ways to help you and your family and your children develop healthier habits for using technology that will bring you together. And I'd like to share one additional tip for a habit that's really easy to get into place, both for you and your kids, which is to develop a morning routine for getting the day started without technology. One simple thing that you can do is journaling at the beginning of the day. It works great at the end of the day as well. Of course, if you're going to do this with your kids, they need to be old enough to be able to write, but they can write something very simple. It's an opportunity to sit down with an old-fashioned piece of paper and a pen, and you could spend as little as a minute or two. Do it with your kids, yourself, where you come up with any goal, like write about what you're thinking or feeling right now or what your hopes are for the day to come. It could be as little as a sentence or two. But the point is to start the day off with an activity, one, that you share together, two, that is regular and routine, three, that doesn't involve the use of technology except something very simple and low-tech, and four, that gets everyone involved in touch with themselves and their own internal experience and what they're feeling to start off the day in a way that's grounding rather than immediately stressful and anxiety-producing like starting the day off with a smartphone or a video game can be. So that's my suggestion. Give it a try. Journaling at the end of the day also can be a great way to sit back and reflect on what the day was like, maybe something that happened that you really enjoyed or that was exciting or that was sad or frustrating. It can be a minute or two, just a sentence or two. See if you can give it a shot and make a habit of journaling at the beginning and end of your day. Hope you find this tip helpful and you'll hear a lot more from Jennifer Joy Madden in the upcoming interview about raising durable, healthy, and grounded kids. So we, uh, our phones uh, do have the ability to see uh, because they have a camera. They also have – they pick up sounds, and they also have a sense of balance because you can turn them in different directions. But there are so many senses that we have that they don't. For instance, our sense of compassion, our sense of intuition, curiosity, sense of humor – the list really goes on and on. And so just to acknowledge that we have those capabilities and to take care of them because we're special. <laughs> basically. So, for instance, also about our bodies and our, our special capabilities there. You probably know that there is an epidemic of nearsightedness among kids. Research is showing that's related to 
kids' use of screens and having a consistent focal length between their eyes and the screen, you can see that that's about a foot or more distance, and they are not really accessing their long, uh, their far distance, their far vision very, very much. And so they're not keeping their eyesight versatile nor mm. <laughs> durable. Yeah, yeah. The eyesight can actually be damaged. I mean, this is something in your work that, that uh, I learned a lot from and that really concerned me. You talk about a variety of ways in which kids growing up today, their bodies and minds are really being shaped differently by technology than previous generation. You just gave the example of eyesight. Uh, can you talk a little bit about just general brain development? You have this great broccoli metaphor. <laughs> Maybe you could explain to people. I mean, I'm laughing. It's <laughs> well, not funny just... <laughs> what, what it really is, no. but it's a great metaphor to help me understand what's happening to children. Oh, thanks. Yes. So the broccoli metaphor, and I covered this in my TEDx talk, tried to lay it out. So it took, you know, like 10 minutes to lay it out, but I'll try to lay it out um, more quickly here. So if you look at uh, fMRI scans, you can see when somebody is using different senses or even different types of, you know, if they're listening to reading and they're reading and they're being, you know, the, the different parts of their brains are, are lighting up. And it's the same thing with our senses. So if you're feeling something with your fingers, part of your brain is lighting up. If you're tasting something, that's a different, you know, pathway. So when we have a full sensory life, we're actually making different pathways and connections in our brains. And it makes sense that if a child has, you know, several, like 12 waking hours, that they only have 12. That's actually mm -hmm. not very many. And if they use up a lot of those hours in one particular activity, then they're not going to get their full palette of sensory experiences. Now, when you're a little, little kid, like a toddler, you're learning from looking at your caregiver's face and studying actually the way their lips move and their eyes work and their whole thing and being touched by these people on a regular basis because you have to be moved around because you're little and that kind of thing, especially as a baby. And it's very easy for a child because uh, the flicker of a screen is, is really interesting to look at for a child to be kind of mesmerized by being put in front of a flickering screen for a long period of time. And the idea would be, if we're going to get back to the broccoli brain metaphor, that if a child has that full sensory upbringing, then their brain is going to be more like a broccoli. Whereas if they're always mm -hmm. in one activity, such as looking in a 2D environment, the brain, then their brains are not going to be as well connected. And they're a little bit more like a broccoli, which has fewer, it's less bushy and has more of a stalk. It's more truncated uh, than, a, than a normal brain is supposed to look. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, it reminds me of in the early days of the web when there were certain people claiming 
that email and web browsing and then texting was all going to help kids' brains develop even more because they were, quote, reading and writing more. And I remember thinking at the time, just intuitively, before there was any research behind it, I remember thinking, well, I don't, I don't think all reading and writing is equal. <laughs> it's not clear to me that writing text messages all day of a few words is going to develop your brain in the same way as writing a novel or reading a novel. And, you know, this, this sounds similar to me that, you know, engaging in one kind of activity might develop your brain, but not necessarily in the way that they've developed before or the way we want to develop full humans. Yeah, well, let me let me just add a little bit more to those thoughts that what I hope that parents are going to start to appreciate is brain development and it's a stepwise process that starts from birth and actually goes all the way until 25 plus years. There's a whole process. And there are certain windows that the brain has as it goes along to be able to manage. As you know, uh, the learning languages is best done in the earlier years. And then as a matter of fact, it gets really hard to learn the second mm -hmm. language. Really hard. I know that from experience um, <laughs> when you're an adult. And so there are these steps along the way that have to happen. And there's concern among science and researchers and brain scientists that kids can miss windows of opportunity early in life if they're spending too much time doing one thing, such as being in a 2D environment, which is, you know, being on screens for, for hours at a time. And they've actually discovered a kind of a syndrome that's happening uh, when kids do spend too many hours on a screen that does seem to be directly affecting their brains. What is that syndrome? Is there a name for it? Or Yes, there's, there's a name for it. They've used this term virtual autism. And please understand that they're not calling this autism. They're calling it virtual autism, which means that the children, little ones, one and two-year-olds, one, two, three-year-olds, are having symptoms that appear like autistic behavior when they've been exposed to screen media for, well, they're saying four hours or more a day. Well, this was a um, clinical psychologist in Romania, Moria Samfir, started to see in his practice kids coming in and they're doing strange things. Like their parents are reporting that the kids are no longer looking them in the eye and they like so try to get yeah. the kid's attention and the kid sort of just walks right past them. This is a change in the little children's behavior. And what Zamfir and, and others have done is they've made a correlation between the children that are developed these autistic-like behavioral symptoms actually were spending many hours on screen-based media or they were watching a show repeatedly. Mm. So they would maybe watch one video repeatedly for couple hours or something like that. And they'd be happy, so to speak, but then their behavior started to change. And uh, luckily, these people that are seeing this syndrome um, have found a, a cure for it. Mm. Yeah. And it's pretty simple. It's so simple, I almost feel, I don't know, it feels funny even saying how simple it is. Basically, what they did is so then these little toddlers would start to not respond to their name and do these odd behaviors, sometimes have massive tantrums. That would be the other other types of, of behavior they would start to show. And they would simply 
remove the child from screens. They wouldn't, there would be take the TV out of the house, make sure a child doesn't have an access to a tablet or a phone. And over, well, really a few weeks time, again, because of the plasticity of the child, these kids would return to a more interactive uh, social presentation. In other words, they'd be more like normal toddlers, so to speak, that are interacting, looking very closely at, at uh, the caregiver's face and interacting, literally interacting, laughing and talking and playing with toys and doing things like that. It is alarming, but also gives some hope because uh, before you mentioned that there was a, a treatment, so to speak, that was going to be my next question. Certainly for any parents out there who might be experiencing some of this with their kids, you know, what, mm-hmm. what can they do if it's already underway? I know you said that this virtual autism is something that's mm-hmm. not been fully demonstrated or maybe the research is still incomplete. But even if people are witnessing what look like the symptoms uh, that must be concerning, it sounds to me like you're talking about either getting them away from screens or having the kids engage in a wider variety of, of behaviors, more like what kids have done throughout the rest of history. The parents can get some guidance from the American Academy of Pediatrics that they are recommending that kids under age two have little to no exposure to screens. And they're not kidding around. They understand about the brain plasticity that kids are, you wouldn't believe. I mean, it's like, it's honestly, it's something like millions of connections per second that they're developing through their experiencing the world with all their senses. You've seen babies, you know what they do. They put things in their mouths. They look around, they try to feel stuff. I mean, they're just out there like little sensory creatures trying to just, you know, be like a sponge and just experience their, their new world. While they're doing that, their brains are rapidly, rapidly, rapidly making connections and interconnections. And so that's the thing, that that's happening in those early years. The American Academy of Pediatrics knows they need to have a full sensory experience so their brains are bushy, bushy like broccoli, mm-hmm. broccoli mm-hmm. brains. And uh, there's a uh, Dr. Andrew Doan. He is a neuroscientist, an ophthalmic surgeon, and he also was addicted to technology for 10 years. He has a theory about the brain that's a little bit like a kid's vision if they have cross eyes. Oh, man, I'm trying to remember what that is. When kids have crossed eyes when they're born, yes, they actually put a patch over one eye and they retrain the other eye. That can only happen for like the first four or five years, probably of the kid's life. And after that, their, their vision may be permanently affected because of this stepwise ability of the brain to have certain like open windows to do certain things. And he's, mm. he's kind of worried. He's very worried actually that, that if parents, if a kid is distracted, a lot of many hours a day during that period that there are certain pathways of the brain that are just only available right then to do, make certain connections like language development, that sort of thing, that they might miss it. Mm. Of course, that's a concern. And so that's why I, I wish parents would kind of, you know, just really begin to understand the, the, to respect the, those early years and to kind of step back and let those kids and, and experience the world with all their senses and introduce the uh, technology a l- later on after that time period has passed. It's really helpful. And you know, so far, most of what we've talked about is, is academic and scientific research. And, but I know that in, in addition to that kind of work, you also are out there actually designing and 
and making things to help kids and, and parents. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about uh, your Harmony Basket. Oh, sure. Of course. I'm happy to talk about my Harmony Basket. <laughs> but first, uh, the, my book is talks about self-design, how to be a durable human. It's the power of self-design, basically. It's like there is a vacuum of design around technology. It just descended on us. We know that the, the smartphone descended on us about 10 years ago. You saw the ads on TV. They're awesome. Apple is the best at, at ads. And we just had to buy one of these things and we just bought it. Okay, so they're there. Right. There's no design around them. There wasn't anything to support parents in this world. And so there's still a dearth of design around technology. As I like to say, there's no lunchbox for social media. And so I just was like, you know what? There's got to be, we've got to give parents some backup here, give them some language and some understanding about how they have the power to manage their lives, their kids' lives, their own lives, and their, their household around technology. So the Harmony Basket is very simple, and that is basically it's a container for devices that would be sitting out of reach from the dining table or the, you know, the, the meal table of a particular family so that that family's accent, uh, the attachment and the attention that they can give each other at meals that that might be the only time that they can see each other all day. So how about they actually see each other, which means to put the attention stealers over in a basket. And I call mine a harmony basket because I believe <laughs> it, it engenders harmony in the family. So I source these baskets from um, made out of sustainable materials and with fair trade practices. And it says harmony on it. But somebody can use a shoebox if they would like to do that. They don't need to have anything fancy. The idea is to place the priority on attachment within the family rather than detachment and isolation. There's enough isolation that goes on all day, and I'm isolated enough. I'm the first one to tell you that I'm, I'm there writing my stuff and doing my thing in my own little world on my computer. It's not really my own little world. I'm, I'm looking at the Internet. I'm looking at social media, and um, but I am isolated from my family members. Mm -hmm. And so we really have to value that time when we can look in each other's eyes. And, you know, we're not touching a lot during meals. I That's part of attachment that we actually stay in physical touch with our loved ones. But I think there are advantages for being present at meals with your eyes and your ears, because first of all, the kids are learning great skills that are Tough to build, but you can do it easily at meals, which is patience, waiting their turn to speak. Also, the art of conversation. Some of these things that maybe they can't work on at school and they don't know in their own mind how to do it. So we're there where their parents were supposed to teach them. But on the other side of the equation is the parents. And I think sometimes you can only tell that there's something wrong with your child by using your intuition. And your sixth sense, which is one of our wonderful human senses that smartphones and machines don't have, where you're looking at your kid, if you have consistency in your meals and every day you're looking at your child and you're asking some simple questions and having a conversation, all of a sudden, if you're watching, you might see this, just this look <laughs> pass through their eyes. You can detect, whoa. I just noticed something that was a funny look in their eye. And at least you have a clue. There might be something wrong. This is so very important because especially when they get to be teenagers, 
Trisha Prabhu was very wonderful TEDx speaker, Harvard scholar, and she talks about how teenagers, if they've been bullied on social media, they don't tell their parents about it for seven to nine months on average. That's a long time for damage to be done and things to be happening. Yes. And if, if you can actually watch your teenager and look at them, uh, they have this body language when you talk about something or, you know, you, you might be able to get, you might be able to be more accessible yourself and also to try to get at mm. what's wrong. Yeah. And that comes from face-to-face in-person contact. Probably may not pick up on that through text messaging or something else. I, I think there's a false sense of security. I, I've heard of some parents that are they're sort of monitoring their kids from afar th- only through text message. It's worrisome in that there are so many other aspects of cu- uh, human communication that are left out of that. And I don't want to sound like a Luddite. L- I'm Luddite. I'm serious that you can't have you can't have glances and all those things in a text. It just it just doesn't work. Yeah, and you know I really like going back to the. Um, Harmony basket mm-hmm. as as a tool. I, what I like about it is how simple it is. I mean, I, all designers know the simpler the better. And <laughs> as you said, it's not something you have to buy. It doesn't take electricity. <laughs> I mean, really, it, it feels to me like the power of it is just that it is something that's there as a. It's a visual reminder to everyone that this is a place to put mm-hmm. your phone, and it's something that everyone has a shared a commitment to to use to put the phones there in order to spend time with each other. So it's extremely simple, and yet uh, I haven't tried using it, but I can see the power of having it in addition to uh, – you know, it can be difficult for people to agree, let's just not use our phones during a meal, but I can see when there's something there – it provides that reminder and regularity that this is what we do when we sit down to be with each other. Kids need direction to be able to figure out what their priority is. Their priority is to keep themselves durable, to make sure that their uh, communication skills are there, that their body is healthy and all that. Kids do not just pop out knowing <laughs> how to do that. Parents are there to teach them. So when you use a harmony basket, you're teaching healthy separation between your child to separate the self. We're talking about understanding of the self. You are separated from your device. You are your own entity. So it's an, you're teaching them empowerment to understand who they are versus their tool, which is their technology. And that we shouldn't, that shouldn't be a flipped relationship. It shouldn't be that the tools are taking over the, the dinner time. It's that the, Parents are teaching that what's important here is that for us to stay attached, for us to stay in touch. And that's my priority for you and for our family. You know, I, I know you you laughed a little bit when you said parents are there to teach their children. You know, I wonder, I wonder if that's because it, it seems like there's often either a resignation amongst parents that they are powerless to teach their children, particularly some of these values in the face of the power that technology has, or maybe a shift in the culture. I mean, I also remember there was a period of time, I think it was stronger right after the iPhones first came out and the web and Facebook were, were, were newer. It seemed like there was a cultural shift in the opposite direction that parents, and I know teachers a lot too, adopted the attitude that they were there to learn from children about how to use technology because children were so apparently 
although deceptively adept at using the technology. They learned how to use it so quickly. Parents often didn't know how to use it. And there was a belief that the direction of knowledge transmission had shifted. <laughs> uh, and now I'm laughing, yes. you know, because I think <laughs> now 10 years later, a lot of us uh, see the, the, the danger and the harm that maybe was caused by that cultural shift. I don't know if you could speak to that a bit. Oh, yes, that's so true. I actually think that the whole educational system may have suffered from stars in their eyes, too, about how technology was going to be a panacea in the classroom. Right. And that now we also, well, first of all, what you're saying is that we our skills caught up with them at the same time designers were making platforms easy, super easy. Right. So we all we sort of came together on on in terms of our skills with the gadgets. But we're seeing now that with widespread adoption of, for instance, like one to one Chromebooks in the classroom, that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. that that's very much of a Pandora's box in terms of kids, students. It's very hard to get them to stay on task they can alt-tab into uh, different areas and get uh, distracted. Even if there are ways to try to control where they're going on the internet, in the classroom, sometimes at study hall and at lunch, the kids are, you know, they're just getting distracted by all the different places they can go on the internet. And even in the classroom, they may not be listening to the teachers as much as they want to. So there's massive confusion, I think, in how is technology helpful in the classroom? How much should we give over to it? I mean, there are platforms, classroom platforms that are completely technology-based. And one has to make sure that the human resources in the classroom, the teacher, what role that teacher is playing in how he or she is best serving the student. So it's there was rapid adoption of technology in it for its own sake almost. And now it's kind of like, wait a minute, wait a minute, how can we shape this better rather than having it sort of take over? There are, you know, kids are having, some students are having some demonstrations outside their school and and taking action because they feel that they're being controlled by the platform. And that would seem to me to be upside down, that that shouldn't be happening. The kids shouldn't be frustrated because either they learn they may be learning too slowly. They're not connecting with people in the classroom or the teacher. And so I'm sure there's, I know there are many, many instances where technology is, I mean, of course, technology is an aspect of the classroom. But the, again, it's this finding this balance of, of the best, uh, best way to use technology. Along those lines, I wonder if you could tell people about your new school, Durable U, as a resource. You know, it, it sounds like you're describing that we're at a new time when things are starting to shift, both for parents and teachers and children. We're becoming more aware of the problems that technology can can contribute to, but we also know of the benefits that it can have, and we're trying to shift and strike a new balance. Tell people mm-hmm. about uh, Durable U and how it can help. Yeah, thank you for speaking about Durable U. This is a new online classroom that I'm creating. Basically, I wanted to be able to speak directly to new parents and even pre-parents about their mindset going into parenting to understand the power that they have 
to support the child's brain development and to be respectful of that, to educate them a little bit about what happens with the brain and that there it is a stepwise process and that those early years are really, really important for the parents to play a huge role in terms of attachment, to create attachment with the kids because babies need, well, I guess we call it moral support, mm-hmm. but basically as being attached in uh, body and spirit and mind to their caregivers in order to be stable people later on. There's a lot of study around attachment and secure attachment leads to a secure adult, a functioning adult. Uh, we know from um, just orphanages in Romania in the 1980s that when kids are put in their own little cribs and they don't really have uh, eye contact and touch of, of people for many hours, they become detached and they don't function normally. And it takes a lot of rehabilitation to get them back into uh, being able to be functioning well in society. We never had to really understand about attachment before, Robert. We yeah. It would just happen because when we gave a baby a bottle, we didn't have this th- other thing in our hand. We didn't have this cell phone. So nobody had to talk about attachment that much because it just happened. But now it's like, hey, the power of attachment, be there. I have these videos I've produced that are in the a Broccoli Brain's series of videos that I have based on this concept of the broccoli versus broccolini brain. And they are trying to give a one thought idea to parents, a teeny little animation that shows these characters that are, look like broccolis. There's a, a parent broccoli and a baby broccoli. And you can see the it starts out with the parent broccoli with a bottle in one hand and a cell phone in the other. And then the baby's kind of looking around behind the, trying to get the eye of the uh, parent. And then the kind of light bulb goes off with the parent and they're like, Oh yeah. And so it's basically the only message is be there, be there. I know there's a temptation to be very efficient and use your phone while you're feeding the baby, but that's a gift. It's not a gift. the, The babies need to see your face. They're studying you and they're feeling you. And they're becoming connected to you. And that's very important for their overall development and their future uh, success. So the Durable U is something that's a resource for parents, it sounds like, that they can use, uh, particularly if they have uh, mm-hmm. very young children who are still in the stages of early development. Where can people go to find courses at Durable U? Yes, it's Durable U. So it's D-U-R-B-L-E-U dot teachable dot com. So you, as in university, durableu.teachable.com, and then they can look at what I have there so far. Starting out with the confidence kickstart for new parents, but then somebody came up to me yesterday and they're like, you know what? There's a lot of people that they want to renew. They want to figure out how to be more hopeful, start some new habits, that sort of thing. And this first course for, for new parents is chock full of of habits. The the next, the, the B, it's basically ABCs and D, ABC and D of um, <laughs> parenting philosophy to support a, you know, well-rounded, durable child. And B is, is boundaries. So I do go into under B is about habits that uh, parents can have to pay more attention to make sure they're there for their kids when their kids need them. And the Harmony Basket certainly is a uh, is a good thing for for those folks, and and I do mention that there. 
Excellent. And where can people go to find out more about you? And re- you've written so much, you've done TEDx talks and other presentations. Where can people go to find all of that information about your work on Durable Humans? Yes, you can find it at durablehuman.com. Excellent. Well, I'm sure we could keep talking for a much longer time, but thanks so much, Jennifer, for talking to me today about uh, child development and durable humans and how parents can take steps to get their kids on the right track in the digital age. Thanks so much for being on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Thank you for your invitation. Thanks for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Jennifer Joy Madden, the founder of DurableHuman.com and the new Durable You, which is now providing a Parents Confidence Kickstart class online at DurableHuman.com slash Durable You. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and share the episode with your friends. Those and all other links are in the show notes. And check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about science, technology, and mindfulness. And find out about our Tap Into Mindfulness course for helping you to take control of your smartphone at tapintomindfulness.com. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with guests Marla Mattinson and Julian Coker, where we'll talk about bringing mindfulness to our intimate relationships. Thank you.